of us in this very day and at this very hour. It has been us similarly fated since an American president took office declaring cynically that we, the greatest and wealthiest nation on the planet, had fought a brief war on poverty and that, hey, poverty had won. From that ugly moment forward, it's been two Americas and every man for himself. And make no mistake, this is the best we as a people can do. Coming to Yonkers in the wake of its great political torment, Lisa Belkin, a veteran reporter for the New York Times, took the time to carefully dissect the failure of an American city to come to terms with the simple and inevitable fact that great societies learn how to share, or they cease to be great societies. Saying so doesn't conjure all of Marx or Engels any more than the invocation of pure liberty or unbridled individual freedom conjures a Jefferson. Ideologues are useless in the middle, where people actually live. No one in Yonkers or anywhere else in the actual operant continuum of American politics was heard arguing for a dictatorship of the proletariat or to each according to his needs. No one is so ridiculous as to pretend that Americans, not the working class, not even the poor, are clamoring for economic equality. Instead, The stakes in Yonkers a quarter century ago are the same as those we face now, in a time when increasing economic disparity is not merely ensuring that some Americans will have more, and even much more, than others. No, the question presented by the planned hypersegregation of the poor into distinct geographic locales and the unwillingness to allow even a modest number of poor people to live within sight of other citizens was and is exactly this. Do all Americans have the same shared future? Are they all vested in at least a piece, if not an equal share, at least a meaningful portion, in that shared future? Are we all still engaged in the same national experiment? Or not? Public housing made good sense to Americans when white people lived in those projects, when, indeed, the first projects were built in large part for white families struggling at the margins of the last years of the Great Depression, or for war veterans returning from overseas and beginning the long climb back into a peacetime economy. At that point, public housing was a welcome, progressive idea in all quarters. But again, fear and money, and yes, race still, are corrosive to the American spirit so much so that it wasn't long before civic leaders were still grabbing the federal dollars to create and maintain such housing, but speaking openly about doing so in ways that kept the poor marginalized and isolated in the smallest, least desirable quadrants of their cities, in an America increasingly separate and unseen. Yonkers was no exception and its officials were for decades open and unrepentant about using government money as a means of racially segregating the new urban populations of color, so much so that not only a U.S. district judge, but eventually an appeals panel dominated by Reagan appointees, would review the public record and call for a remedy that required some modest and demonstrable act of integration. Some white people were going to have to live near some black folk and some middle-class people, or even upper-middle-class people, were going to have to share some shards of their world with people of lesser means. At which point, all hell broke loose, as it always does whenever America's rigorous geographic boundaries between haves and have-nots are made even slightly permeable. 
In Baltimore, in Chicago, in Dallas, everywhere that housing officials attempted to employ proven and viable methods of scattered site low-income and affordable housing to disturb America's class segregation, the opposition reared its head and the twin currencies of money and fear were again invoked. Our future is not your future. Not any part of it. Not even our mere proximity to even a small cohort of poor people can be risked. And this remains true regardless of the revolution in public housing that in many respects began in Yonkers. No longer are housing officials and urban planners stacking the poor into high-rise projects, destabilizing neighborhoods with sheer numbers. No, the power with which Americans fear our own poor is unabated by the proven successes of scattered-site housing or mixed-site planning. This isn't about Cabrini Green or the Lexington Terrace being built down the block. This is about sharing.